what's important in your brick and mortar classroom is important in the virtual classroom. So what should be important is, especially at the beginning of the year for elementary kids, is building those relationships. So that's where you spend your time. It looks different on the screen than it does in the classroom. You know, we're not all sitting at a, at a carpet in a circle, but there are ways to do that. And our teachers have been really good at giving kids time to talk to each other and, you know, building that classroom family. Cause that's, that's how you make your classroom successful during the year. When you build that classroom family, learning can't occur until those relationships are formed. Welcome to the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast. While there are a ton of other leadership podcasts out there on the interwebs, this is the only one solely dedicated to developing undergraduate leaders in numerous fields. We bring in interesting leaders from a variety of disciplines and industries to dish out practical advice for entrepreneurial undergraduates embarking on their professional careers. You'll hear from leaders operating at all levels, CEOs and other C-suite individuals who are at the top of their industries, mid-career professionals only several years removed from their college days, and young leaders in school who are already doing amazing things. We feature leaders from business, diplomacy, education, journalism, engineering, law, medicine, and the sports world. It's all part of our mission here at the Casino Leadership Institute. At Seton Hall, we make leaders better. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Claire Donnelly. Today, we are fortunate enough to be talking with Jay Billy. Mr. Billy is a principal at Ben Franklin Elementary School in Lawrenceville, New Jersey. He received his master's degree in educational leadership from the College of New Jersey in 1997, and he first served as supervisor of behavior at the Joseph Capello School, where he later became principal in 2000. He has worked for Lawrence Township Public Schools since 2007. He maintains passion for leading and learning and innovative practices inside schools and classrooms by reading and working with his colleagues. Jay is passionate about making school and learning fun and engaging for everyone in the community, including teachers, students, and families. And in 2016, he received the Exemplary Educator Award from the New Jersey Department of Education. In 2018, he published a book titled Lead with Culture, What Really Matters in Our Schools. Mr. Billy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> so before we get started on your career, can you tell us a little bit about your own undergraduate and graduate experiences? When did you decide you wanted a career in education? So I went to a small school in Ohio called Ashland University a long, long time ago. And I was an undergrad physical education and health major there. I was I went to school to Russell and um, knew I wanted to teach and coach at some point in my life. So from there, when I graduated, I went to the University of Delaware, where I received my master's degree in physical education with an emphasis on exercise physiology. Right after that, I became a college wrestling coach. So I was coaching wrestling at American University for my first seven years of my career and started taking grad classes there. And after that, I moved to New Jersey, where I was, began teaching at Mercer Junior Senior High School and then Joseph Capello School. And while I was there, I finished my degree in educational leadership at the College of New Jersey, became supervisor, then principal, then moved over here to Lawrenceville and became you know, supervisor and principals in a couple of different schools here. So I kind of knew I wanted to be in education. I, I always wanted to coach. I, you know, I, I like the coaching aspect of it. So leading to education was more just because I like the way you connect with students and kids, you know, so it was just kind of what I wanted to do 
it had it was all part of the deal when you went when you coach teaching at the university first and then like i said teaching at high school then middle school then elementary school, you know all those things just were always fun for me i always enjoyed i've, I've been very lucky every job i've ever had i've enjoyed can you talk a little bit about your time at the Joseph Capella School and what experiences working in high school helped you shape who you are as an elementary school leader today? Well, kids are kids. The, the older they are, they, they, you know, they, they talk differently. You get to have real conversations in high school, um, where in the elementary school, it's a lot, a lot more the teaching piece of it. You, you can have deeper conversations with kids, but kids are kids. And, and so college teaching or high school teaching or even elementary teaching, it's, it's really about kind of finding what makes each kid tick and then supporting them so that they can learn. And so I, all of that is inter, interwoven. As I said, I've been lucky because, you know, it's not like I like one more than the other. It's just the, that's kind of the way that my career took me. But I've loved every job that I've ever had. So I'm very lucky. Okay. So in your blog, you mentioned the importance of educators knowing their why. What is your why and how did you come about recognizing it? I guess that changes over time. Um, as I said, I originally w was into coaching and, and, you know, finding ways to help people to become their best at whatever they were doing. And so that's kind of my why as an educator now in different ways. But the most important thing that I do every day is show people that, that I'm passionate about what I'm doing and then make this make the school a place where the kids and the teachers and the parents want to be, want to be every day. So um, my why is making school a, a better place, really. That, that's what it is. And, and like I said, it's important to, that I'm lucky enough to get to do that every day of my life. So I agree. It really is a profession that you can feel very blessed from being in. From yeah. little I've even got of it so far. Yeah. Well, and, and, and again, we, I mean, I know we only have 30 minutes, so I'm not, I'm going to try not to go on, <laughs> but you know, if you're not, you can't do this job well, if it's a job, it's, it has to be something you're passionate about. You know, this has never been my job. None of my, none of the positions I've ever had, like I said, coaching. I mean, I live that. I live what I do here every day. And, and so that's why I, you know, I, I guess there's a saying about, you know, you never have to work a day if you do something that you like. So I, I, I really am very lucky. Do you recall a time when you experienced a failure from which you learned something very important? And would you mind describing that experience for us? Well, I mean, obviously, we, that's part of learning. Failing, you know, first attempt in learning, fail, you know. But, you know, I've applied for lots of jobs in my life that I didn't get. So I would say, I would say that, you know, it's, I mean, it started when from sports where I didn't achieve the, the goals that I had set for myself to an education where I've applied for jobs and didn't get them. And what I learned is that I, you just keep going on. Like I said, I've been lucky enough to enjoy the work I was doing. So it was never like, oh man, I have to get out of here. It was just, I always wanted to, to do something a little different or was trying to make some changes in my life. But what I, lear what I learned is you just keep working hard. You just keep working hard and keep moving forward and keep positive. And oftentimes, like I said, when I, when, I, when I don't get a job that I applied for, and I haven't had to apply for a job for many, many years, but, but when I don't get a job that I applied for, it was like, you know, it's their loss. You know, you have to have that attitude, you know, they're missing out on something really good. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So shifting gears a little, how has the pandemic altered the way schools operate now and how are kids learning now, particularly elementary schoolers, from your point of view? And what does engaging learning look like 
today now that's done partially virtually. Okay, Claire, you asked a bunch of questions there. <laughs> um, so where um, my school right now, we're um, totally virtual. In a couple of weeks, we're going to bring back some of our most at-risk kids and start small and then kind of build on that. But we're totally virtual. So the thing that I've said and I've always said and I, you know, I truly believe is what's important in your brick and mortar classroom is important in the virtual classroom. So what should be important is especially at the beginning of the year for elementary kids is building those relationships. So that's where you spend your time. It looks different on the screen than it does in the classroom. You know, we're not all sitting at a, at a carpet in a circle, you know, but there are ways to do that. And our teachers have been really good at giving kids time to talk to each other and building that classroom family. Cause that's, that's how you make, you know, you make your classroom successful during the year. When you build that classroom family, learning can't occur until those relationships are formed. So while we're in this virtual classroom, we're, we're working on building those relationships. And then hopefully when we get back in class, we can really power up the academics. I mean, we're starting that and we're, we're doing all that, but the most important piece is the social emotional piece where kids feel valued and welcomed and they all feel part of something. So that's, that, like I said, what's important in the, in the brick and mortar classroom here is important in, on, on a virtual screen too. You know, we really have, have to focus on that. Well, that's interesting how you're focusing more on the social emotional piece of it, because I know for college students, right, it was just straight back into the academics, like, let's get the work done, let's do this. So. Well, and, and, you know, to be honest with you, middle school and high school, you can't ignore the social emotional piece too. This pandemic has, well, you, you know, again, I think of my daughter, who's a Seton Hall student, Delaney, I'll say her name, because she'll want to hear it. Um, but, you know, she misses her friends, you know, and so the, the, that whole piece of of education is so important for me. Uh, you know, I miss seeing the kids and being knee deep in kids every day. And that's where I get my energy and the staff, although many of them do come in and work from here, it's, you know, it's just a different type of energy or going to conferences and, and meeting up with colleagues and the energy I get from that, you know, so you have to find ways to get your own energy in the classroom. And how has the pandemic and remote learning affected the way you collaborate with teachers now. I know you just said that it's more difficult because the energy is, you know, just kind of at an all-time low, honestly. But how have you decided to sort of overcome that? Do you have any kind of like virtual meetings that you do with yes. your staff? Yeah. Well, I, and I have embraced the Zoom. Uh, so we do, we do, we have virtual meetings um, almost every week. We have small group meetings. I we do, I do interviews over Zoom. I do like kind of town halls with my families on Zoom. We've, I did a couple throughout the summer and, and, you know, we did back to school night on Zoom. So all of that, we do the best we can. Uh, there's nothing like having 150 parents in, in the room or, you know, having your whole staff at a staff meeting where they can laugh and, and joke and things like that. But w one thing we have learned is that we can do it this way if we have to. As I said, we, we, I've done job interviews this way. I, I've done... You know, we do our whole administrator team meetings this way. So we, you know, we can, we can do it this way. Sometimes that will save time, hopefully in the future, when we do all get to come back, when we have to get some quick de decisions made and we don't really need to all move to one room at a certain time and things like that. But like, like I said, the energy you get and the response, you know, you get to see people face to face, you know, if your jokes are going over or not, you know, things like that. So it's helpful. It's helpful to be together. Okay, so shifting gears a little bit. Here at our Leadership Institute, students in the education cohort are called teacher leaders. How important is good leadership in the field of elementary education, especially right now? 
it's, it's key. People see that whether you're, and this can be overwhelming. The virtual teaching, virtual leading can be, can be overwhelming. But to quote a million people, never let them see a sweat. You know, if, if my teachers see me waver or, or be overwhelmed, then it's easy for them to be overwhelmed too. So my goal right now as a leader is to get to support them in any way that they can. And that should be my goal all the time, to be honest with you, give the teachers and the staff support. But as, you know, as teacher leaders, you, you know, you need to be that rock for those kids and support each other. And that's a, that's an important thing. And then the third piece of this really right now is because families are so involved in, in the virtual lear- learning is to support those families too, give those families the supports they need, as well as the grace and the patience that we all need um, in this difficult time. So you need to listen to what people are saying and, and pay attention and, and then change your practices to meet each, each person's needs. Do you find that your teachers are taking on more more of an emotional side from the parents as well? So yes. they're taking on more in regard to that? Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, the pandemic has, you know, teaching this way has really opened our classrooms to, to families. I, I think in, in most ways gives parents a new understanding of what really happens in the classroom and a new respect too uh, for teaching. Uh, but by the same token, we need them as partners in our classrooms right now, uh, especially at the elementary level. As kids get older, they can log themselves in and get themselves going and, and do those things. But at the elementary level, especially pre-K, K and one, you know, we need the parents are side by side. So it's kind of opened the classroom up. You know, the, the things that you do as a teacher all the time, now the parents are watching you too. And so in a lot of ways, that's a good thing. In some ways, that's, uh, you know, it causes them to have other questions, which then we have to answer and support. Let's talk a little bit about your book that you released a few years ago, Lead with Culture. What is it about and what inspired you to write it? So I'm, I'm lucky enough to have, have been doing this a long time. And, and so I, I feel like I've had a lot of experience and a lot of um, things that, that I wanted to share. And so it started with presenting at conferences. I would present about leadership and building a school that people wanted to come into at, at conferences. And I would pre- do presentations and, and, and people seemed to appreciate that. And, and my following kind of people would ask a lot of questions and do a lot of things. So I'm lucky enough to be connected to Dave Burgess and Dave Burgess Consulting and uh, Lead Like a Pirate was, was put out and they, they wanted to start a leadership series. And so just from the, my presentations and stuff, I was able to pull in a lot of my experience and stories to write, to write the book. So that, that's kind of where the, where the idea for the book came from or the ideas. It came from just years of experience, but to put it down on paper was, was a, a whole nother, a whole nother, uh, um, task, um, but I enjoyed it very, very much, and I was able to reflect on, like I said, a, a pretty long career doing this. Uh, and and you know, pandemic causes a few more chapters to be written, maybe somewhere along the way. So. <laughs> but um, you know, it really is culture. School culture is about any any business culture. Anything is about how you feel when you walk in the doors of that business or that school or McDonald's. You know how people treat you. How how they look at you, if they smile at you, if they're, they're pleasant, have manners, um, things like that. And, and so school c- culture has a lot to do with 
just like how it feels in that building. And I've gone into school buildings where you just get this feeling of not being wanted and not being welcomed. And I'm trying to, as I said, create a school where the students, the staff and families are running into instead of out of. And it's, and our school is the hub of our community. And, and that's what I want it to be. I want people excited to be here and our kids are dying to get back. And that's what I want. And every day I want them excited to be running in the doors. And I, I'm glad to see that when, when the building opens too. Um, they can't wait to be, come in every day. Um, so that's, that's the kind of place you can't wait to go back to. Another place that you can't wait to go back to. And when it's time for you to move on, you're sad to, to, to see it go. That's, that's what culture is really. I mean, there's specific definitions and culture and climate are often interchanged, but it's just how you feel. I have had people come to me and say, oh, I was at this school and you just walk in and you feel, it's, it's a technical term, but it's yucky, you know, <laughs> yucky, you know? <laughs> and, and you go like, that's not good culture, you know? And so I, I felt like we, we've been able to build that in the schools that I've been in. And, and it's the people that you work with really being open to, to just that smile in the morning and that the pleasant discussion when there's a problem instead of being defensive and, and attacking right away. So. so in your book, you discuss obviously the importance of cultivating an environment where love and kindness thrives and honoring diversity while fostering a strong community support it. How do you do this right now, especially during the wake of the civil rights movement this past summer? Well, that's, that's um, I, I, first of all, a great question. Um, again, I work in a very diverse school district. So I, thought, I used to think diversity was enough, you know, recognizing the different cultures and the different peoples. And over the years, and, and I'm still learning, it, it, it is a constant, you know, we learn about anti-racism, critical race theory, and we want to examine um, how people feel do they feel welcomed and in our schools or don't they? Do they feel othered? And we talk about that. So as you learn and read and grow as an educator, and you can't ever stop doing that, and that's important to say, but, but you know, we want to make sure that all of our students, all of them feel part of our community and part of our school um, for, for a variety of reasons. So in the wake of the civil rights movement, um, which is, has grown over, over the summer, we have as a district started, we had an equity committee that we, we was in place for a couple of years, but, but kind of ramped it up. And each, each of our school buildings now has what we call equity warriors who um, kind of keep the focus when we sometimes lose the focus. When we're talking about curriculum, or we're talk, they help us to keep the focus uh, and, and move forward on real, real understanding of racism and the, the policies and procedures that are in place that keep racism alive. And then the presentations, like through the training of our equity warriors and all of us, and we've been through, we, we've kind of changed it to um, just what you said at the beginning, creating joy in the classrooms. Because if we're creating joy for all of our kids, and again, all of our kids not othering some of them, then we're, then we're well on our way. Especially at the elementary school, uh, it's more about getting them to see themselves in the literature and having an understanding of where, you know, the true history of, of our country and things like that, that, that we need to share and make sure that, that are available to all of our kids. From some of your early experiences, what advice would you give to young undergraduates aspiring to be leaders in the field of education? 
pay attention. <laughs> we'll do. No, um, no, that's what I, I mean. Everywhere you go, you learn. You you can learn. Every school you walk, as I said, you walk in and you get a feeling or you get an understanding very quickly after you walk into a school. You know, you can spend two weeks in a school, and after two weeks, you'll know who the best teachers in the school are. So as uh, you know, whether it's because other teachers who choose to just be mediocre are talking about them, or the kids, there's a, hu- a hustle and bustle about their room and they're talking, you know, and it's, it's such a thing. So, so very quickly, you pay attention to those things. When you are, te- as, as a teacher leader, or a, when I hire a new teacher, I don't hire them to just get in line. I hire them to lead the way. You know, and so there's an expectation that they'll continue to learn and grow because um, you're going to learn from your peers. You're going to take from them the good stuff and then tweak it to make it yours. And then then you have then you'll have your way and you'll have your thing. Nobody becomes a school leader because it's the next step in 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 the process. You become a school leader because you see something and you say, I can do this better, you know, I saw this, I liked it. I had a great first grade teacher. I had a great third grade teacher who inspired me, but I would do it this way. So, so take, the, take those lessons you learn and then make them your own and tweak them and, and be that teacher and that leader that you'd want to work with and work for. And also, as, as, you know, make sure that, that you, when you walk into a school or walk into a, a business, if you're a leader, not in education, that, that you, besides your own, egocentric classroom or egocentric piece of the business, you see the bigger picture too and try to do that. Because when you do that, you're growing, growing your leadership skills and you're growing a deeper understanding of, of the mission of, of the place you're in. Thank you for that insight. So I hope I answered your question. <laughs> <laughs> but, be, you know, just be that, be that person, you know, be that teacher. If you're, you're a teacher, you're going to be a teacher, Claire. So be that, you know, when I interview a teacher, one of the things I ask them is, okay, um, you want to work at Ben Franklin School. Why do I want my child in your class? You know, and mm-hmm. and if you know, and and I then I listen carefully to what they're saying, because because they need to convince me why I should have my and and so you want to be that teacher that you'd want your own child in your class, and excited about coming to that classroom every single day, you know, and that's that's kind of what we talk about a lot here. That's a great way to get an in depth view of what people are really thinking. Because mm-hmm. everybody, you know, especially when you're just out of college, you're, you know, your first answer is, well, because I really love kids and I'm the best <laughs> teacher, you know, and, and again, you have to say those things, of course, but do I really feel it? Do I really feel, am I excited? Would I be excited, Claire, if I, I was interviewing you to say, yes, you know, when I have a first grader, you know, I want them in your class. And then if I have a hundred of those teachers, I'm in good shape. Definitely. <laughs> Okay, so are there any leaders that you follow on social media or any books besides your own, of course, of course, that you would recommend to our listeners as well? Obviously, well, you first. Obviously, you first. Uh, well, no, and I appreciate you saying that. I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really, um, like, I don't even know if all my teachers know that I've written a book, to be honest with you. I, I don't talk about it that much here. You know, I get to go across the country sometimes and talk to other people, but but I don't really share, you know, share a lot. I don't, I, I would guarantee about half of my families know that I've written a book. So, but there are tons of, tons of educational leaders that you should follow and business leaders and, and, and everything. Um, I'll start with Todd Whitaker. 
if you've never heard of Todd Whitaker, Todd Whitaker's written a million books in education, but I'll just share like he's written what great teachers do differently, what great principals do differently. Um, those are some of my favorite, but you know, he has probably 50 or 60 books that, he, that he's written. Um, he's kind of inspired me when I first started becoming a connected educator. So um, yeah, I, I start with him, but obviously, geez, uh, Dave Burgess, who wrote Teach Like a Pirate, um, Shelley Burgess and Beth Huff, who wrote Lead Like a Pirate. Wow, who else? You've heard of Brene Brown, um, mm -hmm. Daring Greatly, and many other books. Uh, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Abram Kendi. If you haven't read that, you, you know, every, all educators should re read that and have a deeper, deeper understanding. Um, Ajima Oluo wrote, um, So You Want to Talk About Race. So in these times, we, you know, you should really read. read. If you didn't know, I, I have... I'm a pretty avid reader. So I, so like I read probably 20 to 30 education books a year, you know, Sir Ken Robinson, who just recently passed away, wrote, wrote creative schools. But if you ever get a chance to see his um, YouTube videos, he's amazing. Ted Dintersmith, what school could be. Uh, by Rudy Caffelli is a local guy, New Jersey guy who's written a ton of books, but the principal 50 and he has a lot of great things. So I'm trying to see if there's anybody else I'm trying to think of. Um, Oh, leadership books, Patrick Lencioni, Five Dysfunctions of a Team. He has amazing perspective and he writes in kind of a fable format where the lessons learned are through stories and it's, it's fun to read. So yeah, there's tons of them. There's tons. Yeah. But like, like I, rec I would recommend any of them. If you look them up, you can um, Google them or like most of them have talks on YouTube. If you haven't heard of Daniel Pink, he writes many amazing books that one of the books I recently read was called Why, where he talks about why it's so important to teach. It's not just about teaching, but, you know, why you don't want to go to the doctor in the afternoon, first of all. But, you know, he also talks about, like, why you want to teach math in the morning because you need higher order thinking skills and you're more adept at that, you know, things like that. So, um, yeah, I read a lot of books. <laughs> that sounds great. Thank you for those suggestions. I will definitely check some of those people out, and I'm sure many of our listeners will too. So just a little sneak peek, do you plan on writing another book? Um, I don't have a plan to, um, but I can never say never. Uh, <laughs> as I said, it's a lot of work. Uh, in the past couple of years, I've, I've gotten the opportunity to, to travel around the country um, and actually go to Canada once or twice and speak, um, speak about some of the stuff in my book, but just some of the stuff in education. Uh, I, I, as I said, you know, I, I read a lot, so it's not just what I know, but what, you know, what all my pe all the people I kn know that I can share. Um, but I do, I, I feel like maybe someday, maybe it's like I said, it, it's a, it's a lot of work. So it, it took me about a year over a year probably to get it written. And then it took me somebody setting deadlines for me to, to kind of get it finished, you know, like a, like a, you know, I, I need that. You know, I was one of those people that crammed and uh, crammed in school. So Me too. You know, I, need, I needed those <laughs> deadlines, you know, that, okay, I need this done by September 29th. Okay. That's when I got it done. So, you know, yep. totally <laughs> understand. <laughs> yep. Okay. So before we wrap up this interview, do you have any last thoughts or pieces of advice you'd like to share with our undergraduate listeners? Listen, as I said, work hard stay humble uh, you have a lot to learn so so even though you as, as you know um, the next generation of educators 
have a lot of skills and, and are learning a lot of things, you can learn from other people and you have to continue to do that. I learn every day from, from other people. Um, so, you know, just keep the learning going because um, you always want to hear a different perspective and have a different understanding so you can grow. And then obviously always just relentlessly pursue what you know is best for kids, you know? And if you do that, um, you're going to be successful as an educator. Thank you. Yeah. Well, it looks like we are out of time. Thank you again for coming to the podcast. Thank you. And to our listeners, we will see you all next week. On behalf of everyone at the Bucino Leadership Institute, I'd like to thank all of our podcast listeners, the podcast team, as well as 89.5 WSOU Pirate Radio for allowing us to use their facilities. Follow us online at www.shu.edu backslash leadership and on Twitter at Shu Leadership. At Seton Hall, we make leaders better.